0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MACD Career Conversations podcast, where we talk to career people about their careers. My name is David Driver, and today my guest is Tara Orchard. Tara, hello.
1: Hello, David. And it's nice to be here today and talk to you.
0: Excellent. So to start us off, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little about your current position?
1: Well, I am Tara Orchard, and my current position is eclectic. So I am generally self-employed as a career and job search, small business, social media coach, and a freelance writer. Um, But I do a lot of subcontracting work as well. So I am working with some other organizations. Um, Most of them are in the US Mm. and abroad. Some are in Canada. So I try and be as eclectic as I can. A, it's interesting. Um, B, when you're self-employed, it's important.
0: Absolutely. And I think you're our first guest where you have been a consultant. So I guess we'll get into how you arrived there. Uh, But first, we'll start all the way back at the beginning. So Tara, uh, I guess my first question for you is, were you born in Manitoba?
1: Well, I was born in Manitoba in Winnipeg, and I lived here for the first part of my life. And then I moved away to go to graduate school And then I lived there for a long, long time. (laughs) And so most of my adult life was in Ontario. And then I moved back to Winnipeg a few years ago.
0: Okay. So for your humble beginning, so going through high school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be? Was there ever a career idea that you had growing up at all?
1: Yeah, I had some decent clarity generally of where my interests lay, um, the kinds of skills I had. So I, I had a pretty good idea. My um, parents tell me that I would, I told them when I was in junior high, I was saving up for graduate school already. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I do recall having that, that sense that I would go to um, postgraduate studies okay. a long time. So, yeah. So I think I generally had a, an idea uh, where my interests lie and they were focused, but still not specific. Mm. So I was interested in things to do with understanding people, human potential, all of that analyzing. And then it was a matter of figuring out where that would go.
0: Okay. So were you interested in the topic or were you, you knew that that kind of style, you kind of gravitated towards going to get an education, like that's how you learn, that's how you could excel, or it was a bit of both?
1: I think that coming from a family that also valued and believed in education, not only did my father have his graduate degree, but he was in the education system as a teacher um, and principal, a vice principal. So just there's a general feeling of uh, education being important, Okay. and um, so it never occurred to me. That I wouldn't go on mm. um, and it just seemed really natural. I was really, I did better in university than I did. I was a good high school student. I was very successful in university. So more yeah. successful in university. So it's sometimes really understanding what you're good at. And then for some people that's related to university for other people, it isn't, but it seemed to be for me.
0: Yeah, I hear that story a lot. I think that's some of my personal uh, feelings on the matter, too, is right, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I had some sort of ideas, but I think I knew for myself, like, I liked being in school. That's cause sort of how I learned the best. So just continuing on that path.
1: Yeah, um, I think that I, I, I always said I wanted to be a psychologist, but mm-hmm. I not necessarily didn't know what that was when I was younger. You know, I would watch a show like Frasier and think, oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> Right, and I did a lot of coaching sports in, in when I was in high school, and oh, playing sports. And I really liked the idea of understanding it. So I would say I my probably the clarity was I was going to go into something related to psychology. Um, my my math teacher got me a scholarship down to I think it was UND um, for economics, but. <laughs> I didn't really know what that was.
0: So <laughs>
1: now I wish I had pursued it because I think it would have been fascinating, but you know, yeah. there you go.
0: So in terms of your undergrad, did you take your undergrad here in Manitoba?
1: Yeah. U of W, University of Winnipeg. I did the art, the honors psychology and the focus really, my focus was, you know, cognitive psychology, perception, um, specifically focused on psychology as Perceptions applied to psychology and the law and sports psychology. I was fortunate to study under Cal Botterell, who was one of the gurus of Canadian sports psychology. Oh, wow. And that was, you know, um, very interesting and enjoyable. I was coaching at that time. I was nationally certified, like level three coaching. And so I thought sports psychology might be the route I would go in. But really back then, age myself there was very very few opportunities to work especially as a female in sports and sports psychology so it it didn't seem realistic so when i went to grad school i i think one of the reasons i got in so i applied to multiple schools but the one i got into which is university of guelph was one of the more difficult ones to get in in psychology it was probably one of the hardest ones to get in and i got in yay Hmm. for me three of us got in that year (laughs) And I think it was because of my background in sports psychology, the faculty member who recommended me loved sports. He, he wasn't in sports psychology, but he really liked sports psychology. And then I was a coach at the university's team for a while. But anyway, that, that roots just didn't seem realistic. And to be honest, I, and I tell this to my clients. So I was working, I was going to school, but I was coaching with the team, the assistant coach and doing some sports psych. And I realized I didn't love the lifestyle, getting mm-hmm. on the team bus, traveling over the weekend. It, 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 some people love that, but I didn't love that. And I thought, no, I don't think that this is the, the direction
0: for me. Okay. So which sport were you coaching?
1: I coached basketball.
0: Basketball. Okay.
1: I did indeed.
0: Was it yep. men, men's, women's? Was it university level? Was it high school level?
1: I did both. I started out coaching at high school uh, women's and then I coached uh, with the women's team at the University of Guelph.
0: Okay. And that was something that I guess, yeah. So the lifestyle was an immediate, like that was the, the closure of that book right there. Or was that tough to kind of let go of? Was that like a, a hard decision to make? Was that an easy decision to make?
1: It, it was. No, I had the clarity that I didn't want that. It was fun when I was in university, but the idea, and anybody has been at that kind of high elite level of sports, and I'd had some peripheral experiences with it um, uh, beyond that. And so, so my mother happened to have been, uh, for example, president of Basketball Canada. She's been president of International Associations. And that lifestyle is gone. You're not home. You're traveling all the time. And I'm much more introverted. <laughs> than <laughs> she was and I thought no I don't think that I would love to be you know literally on we're on these bus trips it's like an eight-hour bus drive sometimes somewhere and then you're in the hotel and then you're in the spaces and so yeah I just thought I I I liked coaching I liked the strategy of coaching I love coaching the games but it was the peripheral around it and that's the clarity of figuring out what you really like Yeah. And then where else can you apply it?
0: Yeah, that's one thing I see. Um, I think everyone has kind of that experience. And I definitely see that with high school and younger students too, where, um, you know, they'll have an interest in something, like something will be interesting to them, like they'll have a talent or a passion in something, but there's a a different conversation to turning that into a career, turning that into a lifestyle, right? If a student wanted to be a musician, because they like to play music, that's one thing. But to be a musician, riding on the buses, you know, tuning up your instrument, all those things. Uh, it's a completely different story. So, um.
1: And it's so common too. And I, I've obviously been doing this for a very long time. And I work with people at all levels of their career. And what I'll often share is that my exposure growing up was heavy into sports. And so, therefore, my skills were applied there without me early on having the opportunity to gain clarity of where do I want to apply my skills? That's what happens. I mean, that, you know, the, when you look at career theory, when you look at those elements of career theory your natural endowments being one part of the story, but it really is your exposure and opportunity. What are you exposed to or not? What do you have the opportunity to develop skills for or not? Yeah. And so my skills were there my, what I like to do is there, but it was pointing in a certain direction because that's what I knew.
0: Yeah. And it's very fascinating because I, I, I'm even just thinking about it now where I think a lot of people don't realize to be like a coach. Like when you look at like major professional sports leagues, it takes a long time to get there. It takes a lot of turmoil. It takes a lot of struggle coaching lower levels and slowly getting like promoted that, you know, that is such a, a, such a, such a crazy journey to take. So. That's why I
1: liked the idea of moving to the sports psychology because that you don't, you're not always embedded with the teams going places, uh, you know, obviously if you get to a higher level, you are. And so, um, cause I, I worked with, I've known sports psychologists obviously, and you can do it from a office home location as well. So that's why there was a real interest in that. It just, the, I mean, how often timing and opportunity shapes our careers. It really was the challenge that at that time, there was no real opportunities for someone like me, so a woman, to really carve out that career.
0: So leaving the U of W and going to Guelph, was that an instant turnaround or did you take some time off in between them?
1: No, it was straight. Yeah. Straight, I, straight there. No, I was good with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had that focus, right? I, the undergraduate degree was not going to get me what I yeah. wanted. So I didn't feel a need to take a a gap year. I was happy to go straight through.
0: Yeah. Right off the grad stage, didn't even change, right onto a plane, took off. Yep. And uh, after Guelph, so did you coach as well after you graduated? Or was that only when you were a student there?
1: No. So I was at the university completing my master's degree and coaching at the same time. And then it was just the, there was a recession back then. So um, it was interesting. I needed to take a little time to make some more money. And I took a, I mean, I was all but my dissertation, all but my thesis was done. So I took a year and had to get a job. Mm-hmm. So I did. And, but that job was not at, in Guelph. And so I didn't coach with the team. Now I went back about a year and a half later to finish up my thesis because you have to be there to do it. And then I coached again with the team. But at that point, I really had that decision. And I also made the decision. So the jobs I had in that, in that gap while well, I was finishing my master's degree were in, related to um, child behavior. So group home settings <laughs> discovered I didn't want to do that either. So <laughs> it was a, a good opportunity to determine some of those things often we do right we try things and we decide that's not for me and then we yeah. look for other opportunities
0: yeah and so after that is all said and done so you get your master's degree um did you have a clear vision of what the next step was or like you're saying was there more of an explore- exploration process was there something of a feeling out process or uh, did you have a clear vision of where you wanted to go yeah, i there? had
1: some clear visions unfortunately the economy and the this was that recession so not the great recession the one before that which was a great recession it did not create the. so i was being one of the areas i was being trained in was in consulting so consulting as a psychologist organizational development going into organizations i'd done some work with like an alzheimer center around um better support services but really that dried up. There was, Mm. there was just no money for anything like that. And so I did see an advertisement at that time for a job, job coach facilitator. And I remember thinking to myself, that's a really good match because I'm a coach. So I've got these good coaching skills and I had psychology side of, of training. And so I took that role. I applied for and I and I got that role. So right out of grad school, uh, I was like two or three months in the role. um, Then another job came along that was running a program, Um, and so essentially I was running that program then. And then it just moved after that. It it really moved after that. It was okay. This is a great combination of the things I like to do as a coach, assessing people. I also had a real interest in technology, and you know I'd had. A computer at home since I was in the seventh grade. I was like the 70s, right? And so I was always interested in technology and very forward-looking with that. And so I could use technology to do research, to help people design their plans, their resumes, et cetera, et cetera. I, mean, I think I made my first video resumes for people in the 80s. And so it allowed me to combine what I was good at, which is really forward looking research. And as people may or may not know in the field of careers, you have to have a very broad knowledge. You have to understand economics. You have to understand what's impacting the market, what jobs are emerging, et cetera, et cetera. And that was really of of interest to me.
0: Yeah. And this is very interesting because I think obviously you were building your your knowledge of the field. And my question is, is there a lot of similarities between coaching sports and coaching job trainees? Just because I think a lot of our job is motivating others and it is hyping people up and making people believe in themselves. So there is actually a a pretty clear line there. I know if you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Like coaching and psychology and the career job coaching. There's a lot of alignment in the skills that we use. I've used a lot of my skills and knowledge from psychology and coaching uh, around perception and confidence building, um, cognition. I, I, I mean, I love leaning into some of the sports psychology work I did around uh, perception. So, for example, I share this with my clients, you know, simple research that visualizing yourself doing something successfully, I did that research myself when I was in university and could see the value of that self-belief of the things like um, saying the right words to yourself. The, and we know through a lot of the research now on the plasticity of, of your brain that you really can create a different way of perceiving and thinking if you know how to say the right things to yourself, you have some of the right body positioning to build that confidence. I mean, our brain doesn't easily discern the difference between what we think and what we experience. So if you think negatively, you experience it. So if you can therefore think and create positive images and words, you can create a better mindset, which comes across in your voice, in your facial expression. I know I, I did some research in this and there's a, a TED talk re- that I saw a couple of years ago that got super famous. Um, with this psychologist who, let me tell you, if TED Talks existed,
0: and I was doing my,
1: <laughs> I had the same kind of research. And this one TED Talk, for example, the person mentioned in it that research on perception. So they have listeners listen to a phone call to someone talking on the reading a script. The only difference is that people reading the script are smiling or not smiling. This is a phone call. They cannot see the person. And yet, people rated the people who were smiling as not just more friendly, but more competent Mm, based on reading the exact same scripts. And that's the value of perception and how we present ourselves. So, yes, you can see I do a lot of that um, overlap with the career kind of building and and same thing with with business owners. And in my writing, too, because you got to infuse that language is so important. Choosing the right words is so important.
0: Yeah. In another dimension, it'd be Terra Talks, not TED Talks. So. (laughs)
1: see, I've seen a couple of them. I thought, man, I did that research, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, um, had a series cause it was still the recession. So I had a series of those kinds of working in these job clubs, working for not for profits. Um, and then that graduated to working at running a career program at a university. So I did that. And that was a really great because we served students and alumni. And that was where I really had to then dig into career theory more. And that didn't, there wasn't a lot. There was no career development certificate, practitioner certificate back then. And so it was very much self-taught. And then I got the opportunity to teach guidance counselors career, ther- career theory, which was fascinating how what, that I learned how few of them and maybe none of them had any career knowledge or training their role was often here's how you apply for university here's how you apply for college right and so it was very this kind of information transactional information i remember after one of my sessions one of the of the of the guidance counselors came to me and said i never thought before to help the students question what they were thinking if, if they want to be something, I told them, well, here's how you become that. Here's what's involved in it. Um, doesn't mean that they, it was right for them. It's just that that was the information. But the, the role was to share information as opposed to really help them analyze and think through what does this really mean? What's connected and related to it? So, yeah. So, but, so that's how I learned the, the career theory was really self-taught
0: for yeah. the long time. Yeah, that's what I love about this profession is that you'll get so many different people coming from so many different walks of life because there is no like career school. You don't go to university to be a career person, right? It all comes from different elements of different backgrounds. So Now
1: you can. But
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, now we're getting there, but yeah, even you know, es- especially back then. Yeah. There was no like clear path. It was just basically what philosophy is, you have.
1: Which was one of the challenges because yeah. there was a lot of of people who truly um in all the places I worked who really didn't value the profession and their advice was not great. It was not fully informed. And and I recall when I was working at one of those not-for-profits, I I had a person come who was a, no, I was actually met them in another capacity and they'd gone to a not-for-profit and they had been a new Canadian and were given the advice to pursue a certain person was a nurse in their home country mm-hmm. and they were told to get a certain certificate to allow them to work um, in a professional class. It was wrong. The advice was wrong. And so the person got this certificate and couldn't do the work. And it was a year certificate and was trapped now in a job that they did not love. It was not well paid. It was not professional. And the advice had been wrong. And I mm-hmm. saw that time and time again, well-meaning perhaps, but uninformed advice. Yeah. I had a, a client, it wasn't that long ago, it was a few years ago, had been a neurologist in their own, own country in the Middle East and could not become a neurologist in Canada. So we really talked about what he could do that was also using his skills, but professional and paid well. And so we did. He did get a, a role working in insurance industry, evaluating medical claims. And that, so it was a really well-paying job where his ability to, to use that information was not hampered by not having a Canadian equivalent degree. And mm-hmm. since you really had to give some thought to that and have a view of what's related. So, and a lot of people just don't. Yeah. And there you go.
0: So our experiences like this and stories like this, is this is what compelled you to be more of a consultant, to be more on your own?
1: I, I mean... I have always done it. I always had a side gig, right? Because was, that was interesting. But in um, just before the Great Recession, I had adopted my second child um, who was older, who was nine. And my first child who I adopted already had, was a person with disability. And then my second child who had been in foster care, so he was not even in foster care. The level of time commitment, I didn't anticipate. Hmm. Um, the significant challenges. And I could not work the nine to five job and meet those needs. So I had to carve out another path that gave me a lot of flexibility to meet the their needs. And with with my uh, daughter and her intellectual disability, I knew that's a lifelong thing. you <laughs> get not over that. No. Um, yeah. And so, it, it, so yes, I'd always done it. Yes, I was interested. But what I recognized at that time and it would be different now, but at that time, organizations are not flexible. They don't respect that you have these priorities. You have no choice mm-hmm. to meet those needs. And I saw that opportunity to carve up my own. And yeah, so it's been 10 years since I have been self-employed. So when I was in Ontario, I had more opportun- There's more opportunities in Ontario. I could go and um, do presentations at, at different places, get lots of work that way and I had a huge network when I moved to Manitoba, unfortunately the same infrastructure was not here. And I will say that mo- the majority of my work comes from not Manitoba now, mm. <laughs> it really comes still from Ontario, Quebec, I don't speak French, but I get found by people in <laughs> Quebec, um, Alberta, and, uh, so I get a lot of work and mostly work in the States and international. Okay. So that was a real learning curve. Cause I thought, well, I'll come here and I'll find these same opportunities. And they did not seem to be here as easily.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and after you graduated, how long did you stay in Ontario for?
1: Oh, most of my adult life. Yeah. I, yeah. I settled in. I got the job. Then I got the job at the university, which was over 10 years. So I managed this programs for over 10 years. And then it was, like over 20 years. It's more than 20 years.
0: So what was the decision to come back to Winnipeg? Was it a personal decision? Was it a professional decision? Did you realize that maybe you could have this job anywhere in North America if you're connecting with so many places outside of where you're currently living? Was it an option of, oh, I can go back to where I was born? Or was there another decision there?
1: Yeah, it wasn't really my choice. Um, but I was fortunate that I was in a position that my job was portable. Yeah. Um, I had hoped it would be a little bit more opportunities here. And so one of the first things I did, even in preparations for moving, was I did seek out and find MACD at that point. And they were not the association they are now. It was still unincorporated at that point. Um, but I knew that that was a community I needed to get involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. And which is I would recommend anybody looking to move anywhere to look and seek out those. That's the, that's the way to go to find those professional colleagues. Now that didn't translate into opportunities here because I was not, and I'm not in the position to, and this is one of the challenges employers, even though they're seeing a little bit more through the pandemic, the, that you can deliver services remotely when you are a parent, or a caregiver taking care of people with disabilities you may not be in the position to go to a nine to five in-person job five days a week and you can still do it i, mean, I still work yeah and i've been fully remote for 10 years and i've worked for multiple companies providing services and one of them was a, in person i would go and do some training as well um, but most employers Struggle to recognize that, yeah. and 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 even having part-time employees is still there's a lot of value you can get from a part-time employee um, who can come in sometimes, and that and that's just something that has to I think change because I know I'm not the only caregiver um, or a person with their own disabilities who mm-hmm. working full-time is not the option for so that's the challenge. And I'm, as I said, I'm fortunate I've had really interesting. Um, Clients. I do work with a a company in the U.S. um, who, in addition to them having some Canadian clients, most of my work is in the U.S. with clients. Um, I've worked with clients all over the world. I worked with clients. I had a role, and that did get ended by the pandemic, but I had a role for several years, and I literally got to deliver training to clients everywhere. I did a webinar once where people – In attendance, represented twenty-nine different countries around the world, and it was every it was people from South America, Africa, the Middle East, Europe. I don't want to miss something. (laughs) North America, I I, I must Asia. Yeah, so I've got them all. No one from Antarctica, Um, and (laughs) a
0: couple penguins in this.
1: And it was for me a reinforcement of the idea of how similar. We all are. These were all university students, and alumni, mostly high degree, not all, but mostly high degree. And they were attending the same session with the same needs for building their careers, the same questions, no matter if they were literally from, uh, you know, Nigeria, or if they were from Germany. And it really was um, a great reminder. And I also had to tell them I talked really fast. So, do you need to slow down? Yeah.
0: Nice. <laughs> And just hearing your story and your way of going about it, I just wanted to dive a little bit more into consultation itself. If if someone was listening to this who was in the field and want to maybe get into consultation, or if there's someone yeah. just breaking into the field for the first time and they're thinking, I want to forge my own path. I don't want a nine to five, like you're saying. Um, I think there's a lot of good traits that you're um, showing in terms of you know your self-direction, your continuous learning. I think you would agree that's probably stuff that you would need to have. Is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: You have to be, you cannot rest. And so one of the challenges, even when I worked in organizations and I see it now, I do, um, through my different partnerships I work with in the U.S. right now, um, career, I deliver best practices training to different universities around careers and i built some of their curriculum. And maybe it's a bit of overwhelm. Maybe there's other things there. They're not leading edge. They're not even leading edge on what they're training in terms of how to conduct a job search, how to develop your career. They're, they're not. Mm -hmm. And as a consultant, you cannot get away with that. If I can't tell you the most (laughs) latest things, you're not going to pay me the extra money for it. So now, as I said, that's what I liked. I liked always knowing, having to know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get tired of that someday um, as I get too old, but, always what is out there. Now that is a challenge that so you will spend a lot of time. I have literally had, I say I've had clients from nuclear physicists to opera singers. And I don't know if those are really all that opposite, but I, I use that example. And you have to do a little bit of pre-work, but genuinely the information and how you approach it is conceptually the same. Everybody is the same. Who are you? Self-awareness, career awareness, market awareness. And then you just have to dive to a little bit, understand a little bit about their specific industries and needs. But the process is the same. I would say for people looking to do a consultancy, you have to start out with your niche. So where can you you fit in initially and then build from there? And you will do lots of free stuff at first. So do free presentations, um, however that looks, Um, doing free webinars, spending your time free. I did a lot of uh, freelance writing. Um, In the career space, I did freelance writing in other spaces as well, business and HR, but in the career space, just to get your name out there, you really have to be super visible. Uh, I did that a lot at first, but I needed the, the subcontract work because I did not have the same capacity to be as visible all the time, especially when I moved back to Manitoba.
0: And in terms of some of the challenges, I can think of a couple off the top of my head if I was ever envisioning myself going into something like what you do. Um, I don't know if you can speak to if there's any pressure for your clients to succeed, because when they're coming to you and they're coming to you independently and you're your own person, is there more pressure to make sure that person is more successful? Because in terms of a standard career position, we're very helpful towards others. We'll help them with other elements. You know, if it's a confidence issue, if it's a resume issue. But sometimes yeah. they leave the door and we may never see them again. Whereas if you're consulting, you may see this person over and over again. And there might be some pressure to make sure this person actually reaches their end goal. And they may be leaning on you to help you with that a little bit more than a regular client would. So I don't know if you could speak to that. Am I kind of wrong yeah. or am I kind of right? I don't know. You, That's where I kind of envision.
1: The, the pressure on you is to be at your best all the time. That's the pressure on you. Now, you have to also be really aware so that you can give your clients very realistic right in right in my contract with them it states that I can offer no guarantees and success because ultimately it's them to do it and so all I offer is the completion of whatever it is to help them complete a high quality job search portfolio resume interview career decision making and I have talked to clients a lot about timelines So if you are in a good role, you're an executive in a good role or anybody in a good role and you want to make a career change, you have to recognize that that could be a year or two. That could take a year. People don't always hear that. And I'll say that could take a year or two, um, depending what else you need to do. So I have had clients come back, you know, two, three years later. I have, I've had several clients come back. I actually had a client recently come back. It's been five or six years and they laid the groundwork. They got that promotion and now they're looking for something else. Years later, so Mm -hmm. there is. But if you manage it well from the outset, this is what I can deliver. This is what I can't deliver. Yeah, and they're paying good money for it. So the I would say one of the challenges early on in the career is recognizing when it's worth your time, really pursuing a client, and when it's not. Um, And I find that if clients balk at your fees, you are not. It's not going to be successful so be realistic know what your your value is but if you say here's my value because oh i don't want to do that i don't want to do that then um say oh well i can give you some other names because initially there was many people who i would okay well i'll give you a discount or i'll give you a special deal i do offer package deals so if someone takes a package the hourly rate is down that's fine because you're not you're not have to generate that client again so right But what I would find was those people who were so worried about the, they would take way more of my time. They wouldn't do any of the work themselves.
0: And I'd be like,
1: (laughs) this took me twice as long. So it's knowing genuinely what your value is, um, not charging $250 an hour when you are not worth $250 an hour. So knowing what your rates are and knowing what the market will hold and then finding the right clients. Yeah
0: because I see clients, I see students all the time. They don't have a a skill issue. They don't have a knowledge issue. They don't have an experience issue. What they have is either a confidence issue or like you were saying, an attitude issue. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a fair rough estimation of how many people, what's holding them back is just their confidence or their attitude towards a situation? Is it like, I don't think it's a 50-50, but uh, I'm curious to find out what you've experienced with that.
1: It depends. So I work with clients. One of the companies I subcontract for is outplacement. So I work with clients who have lost their jobs. And then within that subset, there are people in different situations in their lives. Some of them who don't need a job um, for a variety of reasons, and some of them who desperately need a job. So it's really different depending on people's individual situations, their own life experiences. I have a Working with a client last year, and this was a person who had been very successful. Didn't have the academic credentials. Um, they're a researcher. They had actually been the VP of research companies, but did not have the PhD because they started this career many years ago. The person said to me that in the field that they the jobs they want to get right now, they won't get because they're given to a certain demographic of people. And that was it, that could be true. And there, you know, a certain age, a certain demographic of a racial background was, I, I understood that, I understood that. Um, but he just sat in that mindset and he's still not found a, a role. And mm. that was tough. It, it, so, so you get those and you see the challenge. And trust me, I shared lots of resources on mindset, but sometimes <laughs> for whatever reason, they're not in the right time frame. That doesn't mean that won't change. But sometimes you have to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to work this to death right now um, because they're not in the right mindset. And sometimes you can move people along and sometimes the right Ted talk video or the right motivational thing or the right reference that gets them going. And that's, again, as a coach, you have to be able to understand that individual what might motivate them. um, And, and that's, that's the kind of psychology that I really like is, I have to really pay attention to the different factors of the person's perception mindset so that I can figure out what will help motivate them.
0: The more you talk about it, the more I see the connections between a sports coach and a job coach. So that's very, very fascinating how there's a lot of similarities there.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um,
0: I'm thinking if somebody wanted to be the next Tara, if they came up to you and said, I want to do what you do, what would you say to them as what is some of the first steps that they should take? Should they go, to, should they go to school? Should they get some life experience? Should they volunteer? What would you say is the first big step towards getting into what more? What you're doing?
1: Well, I am a fan of of education. I do think that now that there are there are courses that you can take on career development, I think that there's a value in taking those. Um, because, as I said, my concern is a lot of people come into it just thinking, well, I've written a resume or I've been in HR and I can do, and, and you could, you may be able to, mm-hmm. but don't just wait. You have to understand the, the practice, the theory behind it. You have to understand the psychology of people because I've gotten clients who have mental health issues. I've gotten clients who have disability issues, right? I've gotten clients with immigration issues. So you, to do it well, you either don't work with those clients or you have to be knowledgeable. So getting knowledge and keeping knowledge is important. Uh, formal study is good. Uh, I think it's the way to go, but you can do it informally if, if you do, which I do now. I haven't taken, I mean, my degree was a long time ago. It is up to me now to continually learn. And then the other thing is you have to be putting yourself out there.
0: Yeah. It,
1: you have to be visible and that's time consuming. It really, it, it really yeah. is, but you ha- if you're not comfortable being visible, um, it's not going to work. You, you can maybe slip into working for like a consultancy. So I do that now. I do, as I said, subcontract because I don't have the time to be as visible um, as I would like for a variety of reasons. Um, but visibility at the beginning was key to me getting, you know, a good reputation, which then initially really fed me all the opportunities.
0: Yep. Excellent. And uh, before uh, we go here, you did mention that you were on the MACD board. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about your role there, how long you've been on the board and what you do for them?
1: So when I first arrived in Manitoba, as I said, ahead of that, I had found um, the association through LinkedIn and had joined and requested so that, you know, I may be moving back. Um, And then I attended a meeting. And at that point, it was a very loose organization. They'd meet on a regular basis to discuss and get to know each other. Um, But then it became more of an association and formalized. And so I then, um, I was a member at first, and then not the last election, but the election before that, I was asked to run for a seat on the board and I did. And so I have been, I was the treasurer. All right, it was not the position I was looking for. (laughs) It was the position that they needed. And so that's what I did. Yeah, I have been in the treasurer role and that role at first was very challenging because we did not have any infrastructure and processes, but now it is not as challenging, but it's also a great example of how I'm, I was happy to do it, but it's not where my love is. Yeah. And so as we know, can you do it? Yes, but it takes more time and energy when it is not aligned with what you love doing. So I am on the executive. I, uh, I think MACD has really done a major transformation over the past four, five years to be an association, a real association with processes and policies that can start to have an impact. Um, and I'm looking forward to continuing to, to grow and hopefully we'll get more people involved because that is the key is that you have to be involved in your professional community to help shape it
0: Absolutely. and
1: also stay on top of the information
0: couldn't agree more. All right, Tara, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Before we go, I have an impossible trivia question for you. It's not about basketball, but it's about hockey. So it's in the same sort of sports realm. So Uh, Wayne Gretzky leads the NHL in points with 2,857. Did you know that?
1: No, No. I did not.
0: He's the all-time points leader. Um, a gentleman by the name of Tiger Williams, he leads the NHL record books in penalty minutes. Tara, can you tell me how many penalty minutes Tiger Williams amassed during his NHL career?
1: Uh, I can guess. I will say 2,000.
0: 2,000? It was 3,971 penalty minutes. He uh, took a lot of penalties. so
1: That sounds like a lot. Yep. That
0: sounds like a lot. I, he was an older player, I think back in the 30s, 40s. So. Uh, ah. I think if a player got that many penal minutes today, he wouldn't be in the league. Uh, he wouldn't have it's a, a great
1: example of what we do as career, as career professionals. We don't have all the answers, but we can look them up. Exactly. So I could have looked that up, but I didn't.
0: <laughs> I don't allow cheating, but there you go. Sure. All right. Thank you very much, Tara. Again, very, very insightful. Uh, What I was really looking forward to this conversation again, because consulting is even just another offshoot of career. You know, it's the same area, but there's different things to apply. Uh, Thank you again for joining me today. And I hope you have the great rest of your day.
1: You too. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you at the next
0: MACD board meeting. Yes. I'll see you there. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. For more information on MACD, including professional development, conferences, and other opportunities, please visit our website at www.macd-mb.org.